The last two weeks, we looked at the person of the Holy Spirit and what he can do in general and in the work of salvation, and we've begun to see that he makes all the difference in our lives. And so today, we're going to see that the Holy Spirit does a lot more, um, like the enliven, enlivening calories that we absorb every day, um, we will not survive without the Holy Spirit empowering us every day. No one thrives without food and no one thrives without the Holy Spirit. The side effects of malnutrition are severe. Muscle atrophy, increased susceptibility to infections, impaired wound healing, dry and inelastic skin, organ failure, even starvation. Uh, God made us to need nutrition and he made us to need him. Without the Holy Spirit in our lives, we break down. We just break down. And uh, it's only a matter of time until we perish without God. We are all desperate for the Holy Spirit. We need Him every day. And when we get up in the morning, we need Him. When we go to bed at night, we need Him. And like good nutrition, when we walk by the Spirit, we are strengthened by the Spirit and energized every day. See, God has not rescued us from the concentration camp of sin in order to leave us starving in the hospital of the church. He rescued us to nourish us by the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so we fight off spiritual disease and malnutrition, and we experience spiritual health and vitality through him. The point is this, the Holy Spirit does a lot for us. And makes all the difference every day. So we're going to get into a bunch of things. Here it goes. Number one, the Holy Spirit lives in every believer. The Holy Spirit lives in every believer. The Holy Spirit is not an Olympic medal. All right? He, he isn't given to an elite class of people that outperform everyone else. Every Christian is full of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, baptized with the Spirit, indwelt by the Spirit, and empowered by the Spirit. If you're a Christian, the Spirit lives in you. God said in Joel 2.28, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. That's sons, daughters, old men, young men, males, females, from all nations. In Acts 2, verse 38, Peter preached, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So repent and believe and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 5, 32 teaches that those who obey God have been given the Holy Spirit. And who obeys God but those who love God. God, his people. Paul told the Corinthian church that they were God's temple and that the Spirit of God lived in them, dwelt in them. Brothers, sisters in Christ, please listen to this. None of you are second rate. None of you are second rate. There is no spiritual caste system within Christianity. There are no haves and have-nots. Within the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13 says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. One body. We are one in that one spirit. 
Now, some Christians are more spiritually mature. Some Christians accomplish more for the cause of Christ. Some Christians possess greater gifts. Think of names like Tyndale, Edwards, Spurgeon. But no Christian is fundamentally better than another or in some special class of Christians. There are no super Christians, only blood-bought sinners redeemed by grace and adopted as children of God and filled with the Holy Spirit. You have what it takes to thrive spiritually. You have, dear Christian, what it takes to thrive spiritually. The same spirit that was poured out at Pentecost, the same spirit that ignited and sparked the Protestant Reformation, the same spirit who ignited and sparked the Great Awakening is in you and available to help you every day. Number two, the Holy Spirit seals believers forever. Seals believers forever. A king used to take his ring and press it into hot wax, and that left the official seal of the king uh, on whatever document he, he was doing. It was his signature. Paul told the Ephesians that when they heard the gospel and believed, they were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. God seals and signs every believer as his with the authenticating mark of his Holy Spirit. It's final. He's made the mark. Paul added that the Holy Spirit was the guarantee of their inheritance until they acquired possession of it. So the Holy Spirit is the down payment, the pledge of the great inheritance waiting for us in heaven. It's ours. And the Holy Spirit absolutely guarantees that it is ours and we will have it. Now, some people believe that you can lose your salvation. It's a popular belief. But what about Ephesians 1, 13 and 14? All believers are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is God's guarantee that they will receive their heavenly inheritance. If God seals you, if he guarantees it with the Holy Spirit, you will have what he wants you to have, namely eternal life and himself. God seals us. God guarantees us. God keeps us. Every day you wake up loved and sealed by God and moving toward receiving the inheritance that is rightfully yours. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And the Spirit guarantees it. Number three. The Holy Spirit is our helper who teaches, leads, and guides us in the truth. The Holy Spirit is our helper who teaches, leads, and guides us in the truth. When we moved into our house at Mannheim, someone named Joe Gruber showed up at our house, and he happened to bring his huge arms with him. And it it sure is nice when a powerful helper shows up. Things get done. Right? Jesus called the Holy Spirit a parakletos, or helper, that gives assistance, protection, security, comfort, and encouragement. Parakletos can mean comforter, counselor, or intercessor. My son Peter, he was pretty distraught the other night, I think it was last Sunday night during a really bad thunderstorm. And uh, so I, I went into his room and I took him out of the crib 
And I sat him on me on the rocker, and I just rocked him in the chair. And I reminded him that the rain makes the grass green, that the rain makes the farmer's crop, crops grow. And it's cool because he's got a bunch of John Deere stuff up there. He loves tractors. He might be a farmer. That would be awesome. But um, I just comforted him with that truth, how we need the rain and that everything is going to be all right. And I laid him down again, and he fell back asleep. The Holy Spirit comforts us by reminding us of the true promises of God The true promises of God, how God sends the storms of life to produce beautiful things in us. And he stays with us in the middle of the storm. He doesn't abandon us. He protects and comforts by his spirit. He is with us to help us. He also teaches us. After all, he is the spirit of truth. If we want to know the truth, then we need to sit in the classroom of the Holy Spirit And learn from him, be taught by him. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 12, verse 12, For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. In the upper room, Jesus told his disciples this, The helper, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 13, And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. What a teacher we have in the Holy Spirit. But he's also a leader and a guide. Psalm 143 verse 10 says, Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Level ground. Romans 8 verse 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. In Galatians 5, verse 18, Paul said, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Jesus said in John 16, verse, 63, uh, verse 13, rather, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. The Spirit is so beneficial to teach us and lead us and guide us into the truth. In 1965, John Lennon and Paul McCartney wrote the song, Help which I think captures the desperation that so many people feel today in our culture. And and people are just constantly looking for help. Where where do I get help? How can can I make sense of all this madness here? And so Lennon and McCartley described that, uh, that help like this. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Help, when I was younger, so much younger than today, I never needed anybody's help in any way. But now these, these days are gone, I'm not so self-assured. Now I find I've changed my mind and opened up the doors. Help me if you can, I'm feeling down. And I do appreciate you being around. Help me get my feet back on the ground. Won't you please, please help me? And now my life has changed in oh so many ways. My independence seems to vanish in the haze. But every now and then I feel so insecure. I know that I just need you like I've never done before. Well, another song actually handles that wrestling and answers that. Psalm 121 verses 1 and 2. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord 
My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Only if the Beatles were looking to Christ to find the answer to this song. Our days of self-assurance must be gone. Our independence must vanish in the haze. Our insecurity must push us to Christ in faith to receive exactly what we need, the help of the Holy Spirit. We all need help. And my question is, where do we go? Contemporary psychology will utterly fail and confuse us because it is constructed upon the philosophies and presuppositions of atheists like Skinner, Freud, Rogers, Pavlov. Despite its epic failure to accurately diagnose and treat the human condition, contemporary psychology has been so culturally pervasive and accepted because it removes God from the solution and celebrates man as the answer to his own problems. Psychological, emotional, and spiritual healing come through extensive Holy Spirit counseling as he applies the Word of God directly to our lives. We can't remove him from or dilute him in the solution He is the solution. When the power to change is removed from the process of change, there can be no true product of change. When the power to change is removed from the process of change, there can be no true product of change. I'm not saying that we shouldn't seek help from qualified counselors. Quite the opposite, actually. Proverbs talks about the wisdom of counselors and advisors. But... The best and most effective counselors are spirit-filled counselors who trust the spirit alone to bring about healing and use the gospel and biblical doctrine as their manual and approach for diagnosis and treatment. Be very, very wary of any counselor whose approach is not thoroughly saturated in Scripture. The Holy Spirit has done great work through Organizations like the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors and the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation, two very helpful resources. And uh, I'm actually looking for any of you who are like, you know what, I have someone that needs counseling or I myself need counseling. If, if you're not comfortable with me, I'm looking for ways to, to strategically put people in, uh, in connection with those out there that are certified in biblical counseling. There's some in Mount Joy, I think Elizabethtown in Lancaster. And so I'm pulling some of those resources together. Romans 12 verse 2 is the answer, my friends. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How are we transformed? The Bible says the renewal of our minds. Well, how does the renewal of our minds work? The only other place where the word renewal is used is Titus 3, verse 5, which says this. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and, listen close, Renewal of the Holy Spirit. Renewal of the Holy Spirit. God's mercy transforms us. Transforms our minds. And our minds are renewed by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. As Christians, we believe that the Bible is sufficient for all things. To counsel us and to give us what we need. And the next point confirms this. 
Number four, the Holy Spirit sanctifies believers, all believers. Sanctification is God's will for every believer. Sanctification is simply this, the process of working with the Holy Spirit to do two very simple things. Number one, put sin to death in your life, and number two, live more like Jesus every day. Sanctification is putting sin to death in your life and living more and more like Jesus every day, and you work with the Holy Spirit to do this. I like how Robert Raymond described it. Quote, the New Testament envisions the Christian life as simultaneously one of dying and one of living, of dying more and more unto sin and of living more and more unto righteousness, end quote. Romans 6, verse 22 is helpful. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. God frees you. He purchases you and he makes you holy. Regeneration and justification inevitably lead to sanctification. God saved you to make you like Jesus Every Christian is a work in progress. We just have not arrived. Can we get an amen for that? We're a work in progress. As the Holy Spirit works in us to harmonize our lives to Christ every day. So spiritual stagnation, spiritual inactivity, spiritual immaturity is a, all of them are red flags, get glaring red flags in our lives. Christians should be growing. We should be moving ahead, looking more like Jesus every day. Now, the next two points are really sub-points of sanctification, the death and life of sanctification. Number five, the Holy Spirit is the power to put sin to death in your life. The power to put sin to death in your life. We all struggle with really bad stuff. My friend Bob Popper used to say, cheer up, you're worse than you think. But the gospel is better than you know. We are by nature bad. Bad. You are bad. I am bad by nature. But there's hope. Now, I have no chance of surviving a wrestling match with a 2,000-pound uh, angry and bitter and hostile and protective brown bear. I will lose. He will eat me. She will eat me. Whatever. Every time. But I'd like to see... That brown bear come up against me as I am standing in a Humvee behind a mounted MK-19, rapidly firing 40-millimeter grenades from 1,500 1500 yards away. See, I only lose that battle if I fail to pull the trigger and give him enough time to to climb up on the Humvee and eat, eat my face off or whatever, but... In our fight with sin, then, we need help from a source more powerful than we are. More powerful than our sin, in fact. And the Holy Spirit is that source. Romans 8, verse 13, gives it straight. I love that the Bible gives it straight to us. And it nails it every time. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. A simple That is not hard to understand. Live according to your flesh and die. 
fight sin and put it to death by the power of the Holy Spirit and live. It's that explicit. Galatians 5.16 is explicit as well. It says this, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You will not. You won't if you walk by the Spirit. The Spirit helps you kill sin. You can say no, my friends. You can stop. You can win. You can grow as long as you walk by the Spirit. Our sinful desires, this is me, this is you, our sinful desires are so strong. The pull to sin, every day I wake up struggling, struggling with sin, And it's unrelenting. It doesn't stop. It just keeps coming. And it gets overwhelming sometimes. And our flesh screams out, take it. It's yours. Take it now. Grab that. You know you want it. Taste it. Just a little bit more. Take another taste. Take another taste. And it's luring you in. And the Spirit is there saying, God is better. God is better. God is better. So we have a decision to make. And if in that moment... We step with the spirit, we win. If in that moment we step with our flesh, we lose. Let me say this too. We'll never fight sin and kill sin if we justify sin. We'll never fight sin or kill sin and kill sin if we justify our sin. If your attitude towards your own sin is, hey, what's the big deal? It's not really that serious then you are in an extremely dangerous place. Kill sin before it kills you. And we kill sin when we tap into the Spirit's power by faith, trusting Him every day, every day to help us hate it, help us fight it, help us kill it, and to enjoy God instead of it. Paul told Timothy, wage the good warfare, holding faith, and a good conscience. Fight the good fight of the faith. You have to fight with faith. You have to fight by believing God will show up and give you what you need. Paul said in Ephesians 6 verse 10, be strong in the Lord. He didn't say be strong in yourself. Just go ahead and just try more. You know, try harder, people. That's not what he said. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Then down in verses 17 and 18, he said, And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. We fight and win when we draw our strength from the Spirit. We fight and win when we study God's Word and we use it to fight. We fight and we win when we ask the Holy Spirit to help us. We plead for Him. We fight and win when we trust Him to do it. Now, let me ask you an honest question. Are you fighting your sin like that? Like that? The second part of sanctification is living. Number six, the Holy Spirit is the power of obedience. The Holy Spirit is the power of obedience. If you think that the Bible is primarily about God telling you no, then you have missed the point of the Bible entirely. You you haven't read it right. Um, God says no because there is a greater yes, something that's a lot better. Imagine if this happened. It's a hot day. We're all sweating, and I'm out in the yard with the kids, and we're working, and 
And they run to me and they say, Daddy, can we get out the water hose and squirt each other? And I quickly say, no. No. And they're like, Daddy, that's mean. I'm hot. We're all melting here. I wasn't finished yet. No, because we're going to Dorney Park in Wildwater Kingdom, everybody in the van. And we started up and we go with our swimsuits ready to enjoy all these wonderful rides. All right? You see, the no comes in the context of a greater yes. I'm telling you yes, but I'm telling you no to this because this is so much greater. Sin is tempting. Sin looks great on the surface, but it's never the best option. There is always an infinitely better option. With how strong our sinful desires are, it might surprise you to hear that you can actually conquer them. You can win. The Holy Spirit can help you choose to obey. We can choose the best thing. When the Holy Spirit lives in us, he can compel us to choose the right path. The better thing to walk by the Spirit in obedience to God. Folks, you cannot miss key texts like Ezekiel 36, verse 27. It's powerful. This is what God said. Please listen. And I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Did you hear that? God puts his spirit in us and he causes obedience in our lives. We can't obey without grace. We can't obey without God's spirit in us. We'll just make a train wreck of our lives. But with the spirit, walking by the spirit, he will cause us to obey, cause us to walk by faith. And that's simply called sovereign grace. Sovereign grace. It's not about you working harder. It's about you submitting more and and believing more and trusting in the Spirit to show up for you. Now, I called us all last week losers. (laughs) You came back. Seriously, though, take this to heart. Take this to heart. You don't have to lose. You don't have to sin. The Holy Spirit can help you to obey He can help you to carefully, and this is a big one for me, joyfully obey. Not begrudging I have to do what God says. I want to do what God says. He can give you that joy in obedience. One of the most misquoted Bible verses has got to be Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So many people misuse that verse. What did Paul mean? Paul was talking about contentment. Contentment in every circumstance, good or bad. And he said in Philippians 4.11, just before that, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Then he mentioned being brought low and abounding. He mentioned facing plenty and hungering, having abundance and being in need. And Paul wrote Philippians 4 verse 13 to say that by the power of Christ, he could obey God. Being content even in poverty, hardship, or starvation. Paul meant that spirit-filled believers can endure severe hardships with contentment because Jesus shows up and strengthens them unto that end. No matter what you face every day, 
The Holy Spirit can help you obey. He can give you what you need to be content, to be joyful, to be happy, to be whatever he wants you to be. Do you believe that? Do you actually believe the Bible? Number seven, the Holy Spirit produces the best things in us. This is awesome. The best things don't have a price tag. Amen? Money can't buy the best things. Money can't buy love, for example. Ask the hurting multimillionaires who were abused and abandoned by their fathers. Money can't buy joy. Ask the miserable executives who feel trapped in their multimillion dollar careers. Money can't buy inner peace. Ask the paranoid and tormented political dictator who can't sleep because he fears assassination by those closest to him. The best things are priceless. Don't you want these things the most? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They're all priceless. You can't buy those things. Listen to this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Romans 15 verse 13 says, we can abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope? Can you buy hope? In Isaiah 63 verse 14, the Spirit gave Israel rest. Can you buy rest? These are the best of things. You can't order them on Amazon. Or find them at a car dealership, and you certainly can't find them in a development somewhere. If you want them, the Holy Spirit has to produce them in you. He does it. All of them can be yours. Think about that. Love can be yours. Joy can be yours. Peace can be yours. Rest can be yours. You can have them all, but you need to walk by the Spirit every day. Every day the Spirit can give you these things. Every day the Spirit can bless you with what you can't buy in a store. And what so many people who are wealthy, they they wish they could. They wish they could just throw money at it and get those, but they can't. You've got to be with the Spirit and walk with Him, and He can give them to you, all of them. Number eight, the Holy Spirit gives believers unity, fellowship, and spiritual gifts to benefit the church. The Holy Spirit gives believers unity, fellowship, and spiritual gifts to benefit the church. Paul exhorted the Ephesians to bear with one another in love with eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. God's Spirit unifies all believers, the church. The Holy Spirit also gives believers true fellowship. Paul ended 2 Corinthians 13 with these words, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The Greek word is koinonia, which means close relationship, close fellowship. We walk the narrow road of faith together, together. We have fellowship with the Spirit and we have fellowship with each other. And there's more. The Holy Spirit gives you at least one spiritual gift to use for the encouragement and the edification of the church. 1 Corinthians 12 explains the spiritual gifts, outlines them, and and then says in verse 7, 
To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for, get this, the common good. So the Holy Spirit equips us and gives us gifts to use for the good of everyone, the church. So hear this. If no one has ever told you this before, I will. You are gifted. You're gifted. If you're a Christian, you're gifted. You're filled with the Spirit, and He gives you a gift to use. And you're also called to do something with that gift. You don't sit on it. You use it so that we can benefit from you and you can benefit from us. And So in other words, the Holy Spirit makes the church awesome, which is so great because I love the church. I'm devoting my life to try to preach and to encourage you as part of the church, but I love the, the global church and the historic church and and all of us are so different, but we're each unique and, and, and wired in a way to help one another, to edify one another, to build up the church of Christ. God builds up the church. It's Christ that builds his church, but we're able to be used of him in a very meaningful way. It's great to belong. I feel like I belong here. I hope you do, but I, I belong and it's also great that the Holy Spirit is given to us so that we can help each other and, and that we can help each other through and that God works through us to help each other. It's really great. Number nine, the Holy Spirit empowers worship and prayer. The Holy Spirit empowers worship and prayer. In short, worship is loving, enjoying, serving God. And I'm convinced that many churchgoers have never truly worshipped God. For many churchgoers, worship is all about tradition. Worship is all about routine. Worship is all about ritual and not about love and affection for God. I'm in danger of that every week. I have to be here. I'm paid to do what I'm doing. Do you think it's a temptation for me to fall into ritual every week? Absolutely. Or am I preaching out of just gut-level love for Christ and love for you? We cannot worship God unless our internal worship leader is the Holy Spirit. Philippians 3 verse 3 says, For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. The real church, the real circumcision, real Christians worship by the Spirit of God. Many churchgoers are languid and lifeless because the Holy Spirit isn't there. They're operating on themselves. That's why it just feels so dead in some churches. The Holy Spirit isn't there. Religion and routine have replaced the presence and power of the Spirit. Where the Spirit is at work, genuine and vibrant worship flourish. They thrive. The Spirit empowers preaching. The Spirit empowers congregational singing. The Spirit empowers congregational prayer. The Spirit empowers the public reading of Scripture. Generous tithing, encouragement, and the sacraments. Loud bands, smoke machines, video drones, light shows, and perfectly timed worship services can all be done completely without the Spirit. And they can draw thousands, and they do. 
Not busting on all of them. Some of my favorite preachers has huge churches and they're spirit-filled in preaching the gospel. But worship cannot be done without the spirit. It's not just an outward something that you're going through the motions. Praise God from whom all... but It's not praise unless the Spirit is leading you to delight in God. The Spirit also empowers prayer. Jude encouraged us, pray in the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 verses 26 and 27 says that we are weak and we don't know what to pray for, but the Spirit intercedes for us according to the will of God. Do you struggle with prayer? I struggle with prayer. The Holy Spirit can help you pray every day. He intercedes for us every day. Worship is more than Sundays. It's more than this ritual thing. Worship is every day. And the Spirit helps us worship God in our hearts through everything that we do. John Piper said, Heartfelt praise and worship is the mark of a real experience of the Holy Spirit. You want to experience the Holy Spirit or wondering if you have experienced the Holy Spirit? Just ask yourself, am I worshiping and praising legitimately from my heart the Lord Jesus Christ? Number 10, the Holy Spirit emboldens evangelism. The Holy Spirit emboldens evangelism. Have you ever explained the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to another person who didn't understand it? Have you ever done that? Some of you have been Christians longer than I've been alive. Have you ever shared the gospel with someone? It's a fair question. I mean, Matthew 28 is in our scripture, in our copies of God's word, to make disciples of all nations. Have you ever shared your faith with somebody openly? It seems like most Christians count on other Christians to proclaim the gospel. And they use the excuse like, well, I just don't have the gift of evangelism and so trust the one guy that does in the entire church. I don't know. But so many people think it's someone else's responsibility. Of all the reasons people don't proclaim the gospel, perhaps the most prevalent reason is they are walking by the flesh. They're walking by the flesh. They focus on what they don't have in evangelism instead of what they do have, the power and truth of the Holy Spirit. Could it be that our inactivity in evangelism is because we are walking by the flesh and not trusting the Holy Spirit? God wants us to proclaim Christ. The Holy Spirit will take care of the results. We don't have to save anybody. We can't. But he wants us to say it. Verbalize it. Put it out there. Now, if we wait until we feel competent and qualified, we'll never evangelize. It just shut down the whole purpose. You'll never share the gospel and get that blessing and that, that thrill. But if we ask the Holy Spirit to give us opportunities and then at the same time to give us courage and we trust him to give us the words, I think amazing things will happen in your life. I think you'll see some stuff happen and be amazed by it. The Holy Spirit can make introverts bold in evangelism. He can make the fearful fearless in evangelism. The Holy Spirit is so powerful, he can take this clumsy and stammering gospel presentation where you're just tripping over yourself, okay, you don't even know what to say, and he can save someone through that. You don't have to be perfect. 
He's the power, not our skill. Before he left earth, Jesus told his disciples this. This is what he said. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be, will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. It wasn't an option. They would get power and they would spread the gospel. When did proclaiming the gospel become an option for Christians? The other week I saw a 23-year-old young man walk by as I was mowing the lawn. And as he was walking, his phone shot out of his hand and it landed on the blacktop. And this phone apparently was like $700 or something. And he's like, oh man, and he dropped a couple expletives. And so I was just talking with him out in front of my house. And I found out that he needed a ride home. It was just up the street. I said, you know what, let me grab the car. I'll take you home. And, and, and I'm chewing here. And so as we pulled into his parents' house, I said, hold on for a little bit. And I laid out Christ on him shared the gospel. You see, they can't go anywhere when you lock the doors. And I didn't. That's creepy. That's creepy. I didn't do that. I'm not saying I've never done it. I've just, no. I'm. So I laid out Christ for him. I wanted him to consider these things. I have such a heart for young people. And uh, when I got home, before I said anything, Christina asked me, so did he repent and believe? <laughs> She knew I was going there. And, and I was honored by that comment from my wife that it's the Holy Spirit's work in me. I'm not an evangelist, folks. I'm not. I'm scared. I get tripped up. What, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I say heresy? What if I... What, 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 blah, 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 and it can shut you down. So if, if you're like me, just know you flat out can do it. You're holding yourself back. All you have to do is trust the Spirit and get yourself out there. And when you make a mess of it, you're like, oh, that was horrible. But I'm going back for more because this is exciting. And it's great. Since I've moved back to Lancaster County, the Holy Spirit has emboldened my evangelism. I felt different in Pittsburgh. I don't know if it's home, spirit. I don't want to argue it away. I think the spirit is doing something in my life. I'm learning to trust the spirit more. The spirit can embolden your evangelism too. That's the thing. You can do it. You have the power. If you've never done it and you're like, man, I feel guilty. He asked if I've ever, I've been alive for like 700 years and I've never ever shared my God. You can do it. It's not too late. Think of a 95-year-old woman out there sharing Jesus Christ. Who's not going to listen? <laughs> You know, they might not repent and believe, but you can do it. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4, and this is the Apostle Paul, one of the best theologians and minds that ever lived, and he said this, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. He, he was amped up by the Spirit and power. Don't be too concerned about how eloquent and articulate you sound. Just ask God to demonstrate spirit and power through you. Obey, and then watch what happens. It's exhilarating. It'll pump you up. The Holy Spirit does all this, my friends, and he does much more, and it's all for you. If you love Jesus with all your heart, the Holy Spirit has saved you. He's in you. He's sealed you. He helps, teaches, leads, and guides you. He sanctifies you. He puts sin to death in you. He's the power of obedience in you. He produces the best things in you. He unifies you to himself. 
and other Christians and gives fellowship to you. He equips you. He empowers worship and prayer in you. And he proclaims the gospel through you. Every day of your life, the Holy Spirit is working in and through you. What difference does he make in our lives? All the difference in the world. This is why we love him with all of our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for the gift of your Holy Spirit. And we ask that you would just empower our worship and just embolden us. Help us to have a heart of, of worship. Help us in our evangelism. Help us in all these things. God, we, we want to love you. We want to follow you. And I pray that your Holy Spirit leads us. Change our church. Bring revival to our church and help us to be faithful. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.